0: All right, here we are. I'm trying to remember the Seinfeld thing. That's kind of it. That's not that close. That it is. It is at least very close. He slapped the bass. Do you slap the bass, bro? Yeah. Rock like a regular less Claypool over here. And now, a special holiday presentation of For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings, and every time you hear the chime, a new podcast starts. That didn't rhyme. Oh shit, now it does. (laughs) Welcome to For Your Inflammation. (laughs) That's, no, that that is not how this works. Welcome to For Your Inflammation. I'm John this time. (laughs) What what were you last time? Uh... (laughs) Intolerant? Intolerant. That's what I was last time. <laughs> okay, and I'm Zach. Welcome to the now third week into Christmas, and I think it's rotting John's brain. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I like Christmas and all. I think it's good. Um, I-, I I feel like it's a good season. People need to get into it more. People need to get more into the giving and less into the getting. But um, that's neither here nor there for our purposes. Anyway, for this week... We are going to be doing the uh, 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a wonderful life. I don't think those are the lyrics. Um... (laughs) however this is (laughs) close enough this is by far the most depressing christmas movie ever made i'm 98 percent sure they made Um, a christmas shoes movie they made a christmas shoes movie yeah um actually for your benefit i'm gonna look it up on my phone right now see again with the technology thing but uh here here we go so uh christmas shoes movie oh yep there it is what year was it released 2002 oh that's too that's too soon well believe it or not uh uh 6.7 out of 10 on imdb <clears throat> it's starring rob Lowe. i don't care what boomers think boomers get off imdb <laughs> yeah based on the song and novel by the same names uh broadcast on cbs december 1st 2002 Ooh, on a major network <sighs> major yeah. network i was ho- I, I i was really hoping it was like a hallmark or like a christian science channel uh, I don't showtime know. so there's a little bit of skin in there oh okay i mean if we're like you know what i don't even want to know where like the the sex comes in in the christmas shoes movie i really don't that's not sex i want to see uh it's where two people receive matching exo toes for christmas and they're like how about we wear those exo toes and nothing else what is with you in exo-toes? Are you trying to tell me that's what you want for Christmas? I'm neither confirming or denying that I want exo-toes ever, but I am going to say that uh, the concept of a shoe that form fits to the foot and contours the toes individually is actually really innovative. Like... <sighs> Okay, I'm already just going to start this episode off way off topic. What is, What is the point of that? Uh, basically, you get in use of individual toes. So that's big. Uh, first off, you can use it to grip onto things. If you're climbing a tree, uh, you can use your like primitive body mechanics to help yourself out that way. Cause think about it. What does a shoe do but make your foot into one giant toe? I, I guess. You're basically a thumb thumb at that point you think that god asks why he created himself no god made us with five things. toes allegedly and i i don't know if i mean allegedly like we were created or allegedly we have five toes by design but whichever one is true exo fit that bill i okay have fun with your exo toes oh uh, I, t- I i hope i hope that santa brings you that and a box of ammo and a new place to store all your cash you know what man it's all about gold. I mean, yeah, if you can invest in gold, it's definitely worth it. We we are not an investment podcast. No, we're not. Uh, don't take any of this as a uh, sound po- like financial fact. Like, don't don't do that. Um, we are just lowly podcasters. We don't know anything about that. I'm not a licensed uh, uh, lawyer. I, I'm not. I'm not anything right now. You just got to take me when I that my word when I say invest in gold. Right, and you wouldn't take financial advice from the guy who just spent his last. before he gets paid tomorrow on Doritos and Donuts, right? 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 I hope you wouldn't listen to that guy, because guess what? That guy is me. Damn, dude. Uh, is that like Christmas to you? Merry Christmas to me. 35 cents in my bank account for the next three hours. Hey man, uh let's uh, get Lego. Bro, you got like uh like like eleven cents per hour to spend. Dude, if I could find something to spend eleven cents on per hour, I guess maybe some uh some of the games in the Switch marketplace or like anywhere between like 10 to 11 cents so maybe I could uh, stock up on those. I could get a get a cool ass calculator app for my Nintendo Switch that I'll never use. Hey man, um, you can get the Desmos Scientific Calculator for free online. I highly recommend it for those of you that are taking classes online like me because your dreams fell through and now you're getting your associates in management online. Ooh, yeah, that's pretty much a my dreams are dead degree. I'll, I'll be joining you soon. I just don't know in what capacity. And you wonder why I'm trying to live this Jimmy Buffett margarita lifestyle it's just because it's all we have left yeah it's all we have to look forward to my dreams are dead a tasty margarita waits for me at the end of the light at the end of the tunnel and when i go through the light i will be there so are you saying that people who are living that jimmy buffett lifestyle parrot heads are like living some sort of afterlife fantasy that we're somehow getting to see you're describing enlightenment that is disgusting okay so uh we we have a movie to hit at some point during this podcast uh it's a Wonderful life. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) yeah let's go ahead and get right into it okay uh this movie was released december 20th 1946 unlike the uh miracle on 34th street that we covered earlier this month which was released in june yeah and that was a year after am i wrong um i believe so i don't know i have no retention of anything so sucks ass knowing that like this movie is not even necessarily a christmas movie you could argue it's only a christmas movie because because of the reception after like the 1974 like legal debacle so like why did they release this at christmas time and not miracle on 34th street which is definitively a christmas movie um yeah this is definitely one of those cases of this is 100 a christmas flavored drama i would say and honestly it wasn't even going to be released on this date um through some research i found out that it was going to be released in 1947 mm-hmm. but was rushed because arcade didn't have enough time to print um, what they were going to release on December 20th, 1946, which was Sinbad the Sailor. They ran out of time to print the uh reels so they released it's a wonderful life instead and that's why when you look at the title cars on it's a wonderful life you see that it has a copyright in 1947 despite being released in 1946 so do you think there was some fucking nerd sitting at the drive-in and is uh, a model t uh, what were they driving in 1946 i i don't know uh, um l- whatever they were driving back literal then. literal fire cars they just ran on fire i don't know okay I- i'm down first off second off uh uh, I think he was just sitting there with his notebook being like, Ah, this is copyright for next year. This is proof of time travel. And then just like had a whole conspiracy thing at the bookstore mm. or the library or wherever people met before Reddit and 4chan were a thing. Um, they met nowhere because you didn't talk about that shit. Yeah. Uh. Did we not? Look, Alistair Crowley was alive at this time. Alistair Crowley, I believe, didn't really gain any notoriety until after he was already dead. Uh, You say that as someone who did not have sweet anal relations with Alistair Crowley. Are you saying that you did have sweet anal relations with Alistair Crowley? That's impossible. I'm far too young for that. Like, in, in the grand scheme of time, that's not even possible. I... You know what? This is so far off the rails. Let's just get back to the movie. Okay. Um, this movie was directed and produced by Frank Capra. Yeah. Also, uh, the screenplay was done partially by Frank Capra. Uh, would you call him an auteur? Um. Yes and no. Mainly because uh, this movie came out prior to the auteur movement, which was really started by like uh people in Steven Spielberg's class. It was started by like the film school generation. Huh. So this actually happened a lot more often back then so was this like and a like, necessity i, kind I would of have thing? to look it was like a uh apparently he was frank capra was actually a really hard person to work with so like if he didn't like something he would just do it himself hmm. so i think that has more to do with anything because um the original this movie had so many goddamn writers on it let's get to there yeah um it's it was it's based on a short story uh the greatest gift by Philip van doran stern yeah uh so great great, great grandfather author. of just, Howard stern redacted. Yeah. Um <laughs> that's that's not true. I made that up. <laughs> um which by the way, if you're gonna be an author, please shorten your name. Like that that's just way too much. Even for nineteen forty five when this uh pamphlet was written. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's not a short story. It's a fucking pamphlet. Because he couldn't get on um, the original story published so he published it as a twenty four page pamphlet Christmas card to send to his friends and family. And um, one of those friends and or family got this to rko pictures where they purchased the rights to it immediately thinking it would be a great vehicle for Cary grant who declined and then they shelved it so wait you're saying that philip ben doran stern wrote this thing and then this all happened after the fact correct see i find that really hard to believe i don't feel like there's enough like uh porn stars getting their boobies out or like people riding the sibian fuck machine for this to be an ancestor of howard stern i I cannot believe you're still on this after all that great research I just gave you. I'm here for comic relief sometimes. <laughs> I'm here for a good time and only a good time. Um. Anyway, so that's pretty much what happened with the writing of this movie. And then um, they had two people write it and then they said, fuck their script. And then two more people came in and then Frank Capra finally finished it off. I think he gets the sole writer credit in the film somehow. Interesting. I didn't and look at really any of this. it really pissed a lot of people off. Right. I understand how that could be the case. I mean, as far as like the uh Screen Actors Guild goes or like whatever predecessors there were up to their like proliferation through hollywood like is this something that would normally be protected by an organization like that like a union yes it would be and it should be but for whatever reason here that didn't happen hmm. so the actual like writing of this film is um kind of shrouded in mystery but we will actually get to why it is so important that um the uh, original story exists later hmm. okay we'll get there tagline for the podcast we will get there uh music by dimitri jomkin dimitri tionpkin and a budget of 3.18 million dollars 3.18 million dollars which is still not a lot by today's standards it really isn't but when you think about this era though and you look at movies like uh, i don't know the wolfman that came out like five years before Mm -hmm. like the wolfman didn't have that big of a budget no and they did a lot with it but i will say like the scope of this movie and like they built a whole goddamn town that encompassed 1.7 million dollars of this budget so They spend half the budget on, like, a shanty Ghost Town Wild West saloon type thing where they can just have free reign. Like, is that a soundstage? It is indeed a soundstage. Uh, Most of the buildings you can't actually go in, obviously. Right, they're just, like, um, facades. Right, and, I mean, they probably built it so that they could use it for other movies as well. Like, it's probably not... I I would venture to say that this uh, set was probably not only used in this movie. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I think they actually added on to one... From another movie, and then some other movie probably came in and added onto this. So, until that, and then I guess at some point the idea is that they would have like a whole RKO Pictures town I don't know that people could live in. Maybe they just had like a town that eventually became like Culver City, California maybe who knows Mayhaps. man there's enough like small townships and cities around the los angeles hollywood area to like i i believe that mm-hmm. i believe that one of them could have just been like a like a byproduct of some corporation it's although i don't know if you would want to live in a sound stage house Oh, absolutely not! It's like living in a model home. Yeah, it's like exactly. What's the purpose? Um, Box office was considerably lower than what they wanted at 3.3 million dollars. Yeah, it did not get a lot of the money back. It got like pretty good reviews, despite it being the absolute most depressing Christmas movie ever made. Again, we're overlooking Christmas shoes. I don't give a fuck about Christmas shoes. That sounds like melodramatic shit. (sighs) Mm. (laughs) Is this? (laughs) this is a classic christmas shoes is trying to ride off the coattails of this Right. Uh I accept this. So. I don't accept Christmas shoes. Okay. Good to know. Zach is our barometer on uh corporate bullshit. Because I buy into so much of it that I can tell you when something is too much bullshit. Right. So that being said, let's get into the cast. Uh so starring James Stewart is George Bailey, uh, George Bailey being the uh really we're gonna call him the centerpiece, the leading male role for this whole thing. Um Really interesting character, come to find out. A big supporter of Barry Goldwater's presidential campaign. Yeah. Uh, Also, would not stand up for director Frank Capra during the big communist conspiracy in Hollywood scandal. Which is just a whole big pile of shit. Yeah. uh, Staunch Republican James Stewart was. I I guess so. I I had no idea. Although, that is kind of fucked up because James Stewart actually worked with uh, Frank Capra a whole bunch. He really did. And uh, I don't know if this was, like, a big, like, scandalous moment in Hollywood or anything like that. I mean, not like this stuff wasn't happening almost every day back in, like, certain certain periods of time, but, like, I would feel a little slighted if a guy that I worked with so much, like, like, let's say that, like, there's a new communist conspiracy and someone calls me out for being a communist and you're like, oh, yeah, fuck him, I don't know this John guy. I'd be like, Zach, seriously? What the fuck? I mean... (sighs) I mean, they were taking people off to jail for this, or they were blacklisting them from Hollywood, which was pretty much essentially sending them to jail. It was taking their career away. Right, and then you uncover uh, all of the to, weird... This actually happened to a lot of people. Uh, most notably, uh, I, I was recently watching a um documentary about Fiddler on the Roof, and uh, this happened to Zero Mostel. Oh, interesting. I know there was, like, a bit of a crossover there. Yeah, we should do Fiddler on the Roof at some point. It's, it's a good movie. I it's just a good story. Never seen it. I, that's why we're here, buddy. Anyway, we're not talking about that. We're, no, we're talking not. about this. Right. Uh, we got uh, Donna Reed as Mary Bailey. Uh, actually had her own television show, uh, The Donna Reed Show, and uh, also famous from uh, From Here to Eternity, 1953, where she earned the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Yes, she did. And uh, this was actually her first uh, leading film role. Oh, was it really? Yes, this was her very first one. And God damn it, she's so adorable. She really is. Um, I, I get. Like the place in time, I feel like in the we'll call it late 30s through early 50s, like the the whole Hollywood darling thing was. Uh, I, I see why people were really attached to these actors in this particular period of time. Yeah, I mean, like this was, you know, this was definitely the era of like rosy cheeks and like you know tight shirts but long skirts for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why that was the fashion. Like I was like, okay, so you could see boob outlines but not like legs. Okay, whatever. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's just well known fact is that uh legs are three times more likely to cause you to um, crash a car <laughs> or fail a test yeah there you go uh dress codes that, that, that's why they're here allegedly <laughs> so that boys can uh, do well in school and girls fuck them lord knows they but... fucking need the help <laughs> We really do. Listen to us. We do this podcast. We're both men. We're stupid. Yes, we are. You uh, just can't get over this Howard Stern fuck machine thing. Can we just call reality that just the Howard Stern fuck machine? Yeah, honestly. Uh, I d- <laughs> Have you ever realized how powerful the man is in the radio? We're not here to talk about this. <laughs> this movie also stars lionel barrymore as mr potter and uh i i don't recognize him from anything else but god damn it i hate him in this movie yeah uh he definitely gets typecasted into this type of stuff further on into his career he actually started acting very early mm-hmm. on as a uh like a stage actor a theatrical uh guy i guess <laughs> theatrical actor that seems really like redundant theatrical actor uh, he, he acts in live action stuff he well gets on i mean the- you're, you're trying to clarify that he was the, in the theater world and as opposed to the you know movie world right of course uh it started in the uk came to the u.s started he had i want to say a little bit more work in the like stage acting sector than he did in the like the screen acting Mm -hmm. sector so i mean he he was he was in a free soul 1931 that was something he's kind of famous for but uh recognizable face Yeah, definitely. He has a very punchable British face. Like, you know, like, there's some British people, and I I apologize for British listeners. You must know what I'm talking about, though. Some British people just have those, like, fucking punchable faces in the world. Like, I just want to punch that guy in face. I think you're giving a lot of credit to our listener base to being anything other than people that already know us, and I can count on one hand the amount of British people I've, like, actually met, like, for real, for real. (laughs) Always dream big, John. Always dream big. Remember what Walt Disney said. Always dream big. Is that what Walt Disney said? Probably not. He probably said something similar to it. I don't know. I've been watching a lot of documentaries on Disney Plus about Disney right now. Wait, so you're watching documentaries about Disney on Disney Plus and expecting that to be reliable information about Disney? Hey, why why would they lie? Why would they lie though? Like all of the all of the information I already knew, it's just, it's nice and collected. Did they do like here. a whole like thing on Song of the South? No, they 100% glo- Well, actually the documentary that I'm watching right now is actually about Imagine- Engineering, which is their engineering department for their theme parks, mm-hmm. a fancy so they actually word for, talk about. We're not racist. <laughs> they actually do go into Song of the South a little bit when they're talking about the uh, creation of Splash Mountain, mm-hmm. but they do mention like how it's you know how do you take this thing that's a little mm, racist and turn it into a theme park ride? Right, and the premise and exactly that there is content that needs to be, like, ed- historically modified, <laughs> the fact that that exists is very telling. Let's move on. (laughs) Thomas Mitchell as Uncle Billy, who was also in Gone with the Wind from 1939, a movie John has also not seen. Uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and assume. Yeah, as I understand it, he played an owl or something. Uh, He kind of looks like one. Hootie who. Yeah. Hootie who. And then uh, Henry Travers as Clarence. Ah, yes. The big wingless uh, man himself. The big wingless dickless man himself. You know what? That's a good point. He definitely wouldn't have a dick. Yeah. Also, uh, apparently in the 90s, Novelization of this movie, Uh, they give a little more clarification as to who he was. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was born Clarence Oddbody and was born in May 1653. What? Yes. Well, Oddbody is definitely (laughs) a way I would describe a man without a dick. Who's supposed to have wings? I mean,. is he supposed to have wings well he's um, an angel he's trying to earn them right so like what, what's your problem like i thought they set that up in the beginning of the movie no you missed the point his name was Oddbody, and he is a man without a dick that's supposed to have wings that qualifies a man for being odd body correct but just to clarify your statement john not all men have dicks well now. they are definitely not all supposed to have wings either That is fair. That's not the part of your statement I was correcting. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) This is what we're going to get nitpicky about. you have to you have to anyway let's talk about the critical reception for this movie um it has an 8.6 on imdb and a rotten tomato score of 94% held up and, well uh, over time much, it's definitely held up over time i mean like they play it every goddamn christmas they do they do it's um it's been on a lo- bunch of like best of all time lists um it's got like it's thought of as like a really well placed kind of moment in time film uh it really fits into the time mm-hmm. of release remember it is like a greatest film ever made it's was making it onto the list of like 100 best films of all time 50 best films ever made like that type of thing and roger ebert has it listed as a quote-unquote great film scoring a four out of four roger ebert the, the end all be all right or at least that's how we look at it for these types of movies because as soon as we get into like little nuggets like troll and puppet master he all of a sudden doesn't have anything to say anymore john just give up no one's ever going to give a um you're never going to see a 100 certified fresh puppet master movie although maybe we we could make one. Honestly, challenge accepted. I, I would love to see that come to fruition. I just don't know how you do it. It's just such a stupid concept. <laughs> Alright, so, uh, Anyway, um, I'm just gonna hit a few fun facts about this movie, uh, just, like, you know, prior to and post-release. Um, the original story, uh, the pamphlet that was sent out that, uh, apparently got sent to RKO, um, actually had George Bailey as a politician, and the angel makes him see what his life would be like if he would've went into business instead. And right. I'm like, why does he have to be two horrible things? Well, see, that's the thing, right? It's like, w- what perspective is this coming from? Like, in the 21st century, i guess we kind of know better and we're like okay well power thing it's not like a position thing so like politicians do bad things and then like business people do bad things and like it hurts everybody like in a similar kind of way what do you think this was saying at the time so basically he is a politician who wants to be a businessman so he's saying well look at all the bad stuff that would have happened if you were a businessman and like I know this was like a big like breaking point for unionization in the US Mm -hmm. do you think that had something to do with that I I don't know I think it's like look at all the change you uh enacted while you were a politician as opposed to what you would have done if you were in business you would have became a horrible person and you would have became money hungry and you would have became the exact thing that you hate as a politician i think that was the point right instead he's uh working for the new world order trying to run a pedophile sex ring I don't know which version you read, but that is not the one I read. (laughs) Um. You gotta put on the 3D glasses, Zach. You gotta see through the fine print. Also, a fun fact about this movie is in the 1980s, it became known as a big, like, Christmas movie, and the reason for that is a clerical error on the National Telefilm Association in 1974 where it kind of passed into public domain for a period of time. Like, they lost the rights to it just because someone did some paperwork wrong or something like that, and so then overnight you have a bunch of like local tv stations and like a smaller channels picking up copies of this movie that they can film or rather screen at no cost right and um it this it i think it actually still technically exists in this like arena today but the way that there's always a workaround in coffee there's always a workaround because if something's in public domain it's never truly in public domain unless no one gives a shit about it mm-hmm. like you'll never see like row row your boat go into the public domain because people give a shit about it right people use it all the time someone's gonna find a reason to keep making money off of it and this movie's no different um the what happened is the story rights were still under copyright and the movie and the novel that it's um based on are both derivative forms of that story so they are still technically held under copyright through that film rights agreement. Interesting. So the copyrights are held so on Paramount the story. Paramount owns the Yes, Paramount owns the film rights so therefore they get the money. It's insanely complicated, but like I said, there's always work around. Okay. I, I mean, bet someone got, got a big old good Christmas bonus that year for figuring that one out. I mean, I believe it. Uh, I, there's so much to be earned on this movie. Like, it is so good. Like, it's a, I can't believe that something that has as high a score today as it does through, like, critical, like, screens it was in the public domain for a period of time. Well, yeah, I mean, in, it was only in the public domain due to, like like we said, a clerical error. But, you know, even at the time, this movie did not escape controversy. Um, As a matter of fact, during the um, Federal Bureau of Investigations probe into Hollywood for its uh, communist... Regimes, whatever have you. Mm-hmm. They actually said this in 1947 about this movie. With regard to this picture, it's a wonderful life. Redacted. redacted. Stated in substance that the film represented rather obvious attempts to discredit bankers by casting Lionel Barrymore as a Scrooge type so that he would be the most hated man in the picture. This, according to these sources, is a common trick by the communists. In addition, redacted. Yeah, right. Stated that in his opinion, the, p- the picture deliberately mangled the upper class attempting to show the people who had money were meat and despicable characters which just reads to me as i have enough money to tell you to shut the fuck up and that's what i'm doing right now with this communist pro hey man some things never change some things never change it's still the same thing today you're either a trumpy or a libtard apparently hey man uh, according to my uncle on facebook i'm gonna live on a hillside with some goats and if they want to come tell me what i am they can try to climb my barbed wire fence and then they enter my property, and then anything goes. You know, I got some bear traps. I got some uh, some Burmese tiger traps. Uh, that's not legal, but I'm doing it anyway. Apparently, um, I got all kinds of stuff out there. For a second, for a second, I thought you said Furby traps, and I was terrified. You know what, man? I'll make it work. Uh, I'll melt down some Furbies into spikes and put them at the bottom of a pit. Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> so there's like a melted beak sticking up out of the dirt. I hate this. You know? I hate that you've put this into existence. I'm literally just gonna become like an angry sodium-filled Rambo. Jesus. Okay. All right, one happy fact before we get into the synopsis. Cornflakes were used to create the snow effect, but they were so loud when they dropped that the dialogue had to be overdubbed in post. You know what? That's it. That's all I got. I completely believe that a music as sexually sterile as this one totally had Cornflakes as fake snow. Correct. Like, you know about Cornflakes. You know about the origin story for Cornflakes. That they were created to um, keep kids from jerking it. Uh, yeah, among other things, so basically Kellogg worked as like a psychiatric specialist at an asylum for a period of time and he designed cornflakes to be a food that you could serve to inmates with sexual disorders to suppress their sexual desires because he believed that food that was like flavorful, like spicy or sweet or especially salty, would cause people to become more sexually active. And so once he used this and said, hey, maybe this can stop people from fucking jacking their willies all the time. And it was sold to the public and be like ah yes no, all the kiddos will not be jacking off their dicks look it up i think we just got on a list for that sentence you said there look <laughs> it up i mean i i know about this but if you're a listener and you didn't know about this look it up it's crazy shit's shit's weird out here in the streets and you know what fake snow fake snow fake snow fake snow fake world flat earth anyway um even though i truly believe let's get into the synopsis um even though i truly believe that this movie can be summed up in watch this guy get shit on for an hour and 40 fucking minutes and then have a redemption arc that isn't really a redemption arc but just the general premise behind GoFundMe. fund and now i will leave the real as much as it pains me to say this i will leave the real synopsis to uh Mr. Frank Synopsis Well, Zach, I'll tell you right now If there's one guy that knows anything about getting shit on And not having a redemption arc, it is me Frank Synopsis, the man who has literally been shit on Two times in the past week uh, Through you wanting to? Or, you know what, never mind, never mind I don't want to No, 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 no. clarification Clarification, movie, I get shit on by the pigeons Because I live in Central Park Okay, so, do you have a house in Central Park Or do you just walk around the streets of Central Park? Fun fact for you, my friend. The song, Baby It's Cold Outside, is actually written about me, yours truly, Frank Sinatra, because I live in the park full time. And it is, in fact, Cold Outside Baby. So, the back and forth in Baby, It's Cold Outside, is that you talking to yourself or have you brought some poor woman back to your house because she thinks you're Frank's synopsis and then you bring her to Central Park and you're like, the whole park's my home. Well, you see, what I do is I actually take my hand and so I've got this little thing that I can do where I move my thumb and it looks like a, like a little mouth underneath like a, like an eyebrow and a face. I pick up some, some lipstick that I found in a dumpster and I just draw a little mouth on it and then I just sit there in the park and go, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Sorry. to myself to remind myself that it ain't so bad it's christmas i please just tell me about the goddamn movie <laughs> all right well without getting too far off track uh let's get into it's a wonderful life an angel named Clarence hopes to earn his wings, and is assigned to help a troubled man named George Bailey. Clarence looks back into George's past and sees just how much good he's contributed to the world. Clarence reveals this to George after he tries to end it all, and takes George on a tour of the world without him. George relearns the value of family, friends, and love, even when things get hard, and decides that life is worth living after all. Beautiful. Sounds like it should be like, you know, like a like an hour and 20 minutes, like a perfect little Christmas movie. No, this motherfucker is about two hours and ten minutes long. You know what else is about two hours and ten minutes long, Zach? What, Frank? It's about how long the paramedics revived me in the park. Okay, well, why don't you go back to the park? I'm sure you're eager to get home. It's past your bedtime. Uh, Let John back in the studio. Well, the one thing you need to know about Bedtime in New York is that it is a city that, in fact, never sleeps. I am one of those people that never sleeps. That's what they mean by that. It's not the people in the city never sleep. It's that I specifically live in the city and never sleep. You confound me, sir, every time we speak. Please get out of my studio. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. I still never understand why John and Frank Synopsis can't be in the same room at the same time. John, are you back? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. All right, awesome. Let's dig right into this movie. So, the movie opens on, um, space yeah i've never liked this it's weird because it a it never it never shows back up in the movie again and b it's like eh, like it like it artistically it clashes with the rest of the film it does um in my opinion also it opens up a lot of questions so they're angels but they're in space and they're like stars or something and like i i really don't feel like this is explanatory enough to do what they're doing right now like what is that why do they do that Also, another thing, and I don't know why I didn't think about this until, like, this particular time that I watched the movie, but... If they knew that they were going to have to send someone down to do this for like, you know, whatever, thousands of years, mm-hmm. why did they only just now assign someone to it? Well, I think that maybe you're not considering the fact that time only exists in our life. It only exists in our plane of existence. So, I mean, if these are angels we're talking about, eh, they probably have their own reasons for doing things at the time they do them. Yeah, but they have to be there at a specific time when George is about to jump off the bridge. So they have to have some sort of concept of time. Right, and... And i don't really have any answers it's just like they didn't really provide any like meat to answer these types of questions in doing what they've done correct anyway yeah so pretty much they tell clarence that uh, you need to know more about george bailey before you go down there and save him which is a no-brainer so we uh yeah, sure why not so we watch George's life as he grows, and that starts in 1919? Yeah, so George is out there with his buddies. They're all wearing these, like, like beanie toboggan hats with skull and crossbones on them. I don't know what that's about, but, like, okay, sure, why not? And so because punk rock never dies John. right punk rock sledding on a shovel you got the handle coming out straight up between your legs like a big old dick and you're just like sliding down the hill onto this frozen lake because you want to live fast and die young hell yeah die young leave a pretty corpse there you go uh speaking or a, of or a very small corpse yeah I guess small coffins are probably cheaper <laughs> you know what uh gallows humor is an important part of this balanced breakfast of not cornflakes. <laughs> this is a jerking off podcast we don't we don't eat cornflakes we don't support that agenda our principles are steadfast we eat lucky charms like goddamn americans anyways (laughs) you know they have christmas crunch it's like captain crunch but all the things are shaped like christmas trees yes and it used to come with like little pop rocks Ugh. that you could put in there i don't want like carbonated cereal what the fuck, in the 90s, what the fuck man. is that? i recently saw someone on tiktok made carbonated milk <laughs> that's they need to be dragged to do down it. the street and dealt with by mob justice I thought it was funny. I mean, they spit it out immediately. I think they realize what they had done. <sighs> One can only hope. One can only hope. George goes sledding on a shovel. His brother actually falls through the ice. So he is there to save him. Uh, although when he goes in to save him, he gets cold. Because I guess back in the day you could get cold and then you get a cold. Which is probably why they call it a cold and not an infection. Even though in modern medical science we know that like the cold itself is not what makes you sick. It's like It could potentially lower your immune system and that's why you get sick. Or maybe it's because there weren't vaccines readily available. Or maybe vaccines should have never been invented. Just kidding. Anyway, so we fast forward a little bit past this point, knowing that he saved his brother and that he got sick. He's partially deaf now. So, okay, that's an important plot point for later. George gets his first job at a pharmacy as the soda jerk. He works behind the counter with the candies and stuff, which ends up putting him in a position to meet some people around town. So he's a little bit of a man about time at the young age of, like, I don't know, 10, 9, something like that. I think they said he's. 12 there okay uh, that makes sense so uh he gets to know violet and her friends she's like a recurring character throughout the story and he notices that one day that we're looking at in his life that there was a telegram that came through for mr gower the pharmacist uh saying that his son is dead and that's never a good telegram to get not that i've ever received a telegram i've never received a telegram either but that is not the one that i would want i would be like i have a son and he's dead well i guess it's not my problem anymore well uh Um, his solution was to get wasted It was and he accidentally puts poison into some capsules, which in 19, I guess if we're flashing forward, this would be like 1920 something. Yeah, yeah. Did, did pharmacists just have poison? I mean, like, like how does this even happen? Like, what what suitable purpose would you have poison for? I guess like if you were making like rat poison or something, or like some sort of like like why why would you need poison in the pharmacy? Like it like how does this even happen? I don't know. Maybe that's where you had to go to get your like household poisons for like I don't know rats or something I, I don't know not that's a, what I'm saying yeah. like anyway right so he stops so, him George stops him from doing that and he's grateful so fast forward a few more years we'll call this like uh, the late 20s early 30s something like that uh, George has grown up and he's working somewhere else but he's talking to a salesman who actually brings him a gift from mr. Gower which is a suitcase a bit of a trunk that he can take on his upcoming travels abroad George has these aspirations to go places to see things he wants to go to Europe because I guess that's the only place Place white people went back then when they wanted to travel abroad yeah that no one was going to you know the middle east or anything right unless you were british and then you were going there so you could either build a suez canal maintain a suez canal or defile some grave sites i don't know what that last one was about but um i'm sure you'll tell me off cam, uh, off camera off air all i'm saying is egyptology is a dodgy business how can you have an ology that's just a country jesus anyway uh so george before he's going on his upcoming travels goes home for family dinner and attends his brother's graduation party uh they go to the school i guess that's where they're having the party slash graduation ceremony and he meets mary yes or re-meets mary rather right they've kind of been acquainted before but this is where they kind of like actually properly meet so this is a pretty swanky little graduation party i kind of wish that we did more of this today we don't really dance anymore i'm cool with that Because I'm me and I'm terrible and I don't dance or something. And so it's fun to look back at this and see they had like a Charleston contest. And I'm like, that sounds alright if you're into that. And then they open up the pool door because someone's angry that he's dancing with Mary and he wants him to fall into the water. And what was his angle there? What was he trying to kill someone? He definitely jumps in. I don't think he was trying to kill someone. I think he was just, it's like, you stole my girl. Now I gotta get one over on you. And also, little known fact that guy is alfalfa wait like from the little uh, rascal's alfalfa open yes oh still being a little rascal as an adult i see i think that was the point think about (laughs) what big trouble he would be in if someone drowned from that oh no they'd absolutely murder him but i mean how would they even know they didn't have security cameras in the schools then Uh, i don't know they figured it out in salem it seemed to work out for them am i right um, go back and read your history book a little better there. Um, hopefully it is a school-sanctioned history book that you're reading. Uh, yes. Uh, as opposed to all the not-school-sanctioned history books? Don't even pretend like there's not a lot. That's how we have so much misinformation in this world. Anyway. Right. So uh, um so, you know, they fall in the pool, pool antics ensue. Right. Uh George and Mary welcome from the party singing Buffalo Girls Gonna Come Out Tonight. Uh that's a that's a good thing for white people to walk around singing. Uh it doesn't have the quite the same effect when, you know, you put it in like an appropriate tone. Like I don't know, you have like uh, someone who actually is really well acquainted with Buffalo, uh maybe like a Native American man whose wife that he lost at some point whose name was Buffalo Girl. Uh he's like Buffalo Girls. Gone to come out tonight it just doesn't have the same ring to it um that that sounds terrifying and maybe you should write that movie however um that song is actually meant to just wherever you are you just so like if you're from atlanta just say like atlanta girls come out tonight so you mean to tell me that buffalo is not about buffalo it is about a city in new york state yeah or wherever there's a buffalo in a state like i think i don't think that's uh you know just to New York. I'm sorry to tell you, bud. I've really got to say, this is kind of bumming me out. Y- you know what? You're bumming me out by being here. <laughs> that is insensitive considering the context. I realized that right after I said it. I will make a proper donation to you and your tribe. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. So, uh, there's, they're kind of talking and flirting a little bit. George talks about lassoing the moon for if that's what she wanted. Um, some guy on his porch is just like, I don't know, waiting for some cats to come by and like do some things that cats do at night or something. But instead these two kids come by. So he's like, oh, just kiss her already. Yeah. 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 Kiss her already. And, uh, that's not pushy at all. Yeah. And then George is a very, uh, 1920s man about it. He's like, yeah, I'll give you something to kiss over here. Uh, yes. And I'm was like, is like, is he gonna kiss him? Like, yeah, he just goes up down and down for that. plants that, one right on his face. That'd be very progressive for this time. <laughs> just plant someone right on his lips they get married adopt like 14 children there you go dude that that was the way that that was for sure how that worked out back then that is for sure how that would have worked out 100 right they would not have been uh murdered and taken out through the town anyway right so uh then this is like um, the robe gag uh, i i guess the whole thing is like this nude and like that like a rose bush or something which is an inconvenient place to be nude i mean depending on how you look at it if you're committed to the nude life then there really isn't an inconvenient place to be nude enough of your goddamn jimmy buffett lifestyle bullshit john um was she actually naked or was she wearing like a like a like a petticoat or something under it i don't know, well considering how but... she's not a 1720s british soldier i don't think she was actually wearing a petticoat I don't know what the fuck these things are called, man. So, like an like undershirt or something. No, but anyway, I think that was um, the gag. Uh, that being said, uh, this was clearly haze code appropriate. There's nothing too weird going on here. It's just kind of cheeky. But it goes downhill really fast when somebody drives by. It's like, hey, there you are. Your father had a stroke. And that's where things get a little serious. Yeah, and it then cuts to probably a couple months later. Uh, it reveals that uh, George's father actually does pass away from the stroke. And uh, we go into a business meeting which is always something that's in Christmas movies for whatever reason. Like, you know, like the Santa Claus, you know, fucking candle shoot. Not candle shoot, god it. Um, fucking Christmas shoes. Like, they've all got, like, a business meeting in them for whatever reason. I don't know why. Uh, Elf also has more than one business meeting, as a matter of fact. Right, like why would you put the most boring fucking thing that can imaginably happen into a Christmas movie? Anyway, John, tell me a little bit about what happens in that business meeting. Alright, so the Chamber of Commerce comes together to decide what to to do I guess after the passing of George's father so George shows up in his father's place I guess that's because it's kind of a family business that's how they're going to do it so it's him and it's his uncle Billy who we talked about a little bit before and uh, Potter wants to shut it down so Mr. Potter's kind of like the rich like uh, old money kind of figure in town he owns a lot of stuff he's like a landlord or a slumlord I guess if you listen to them and what they have to say about him in the movie um, and a lot of what he does is just uh, not what George considers to be good for the town so he is very much for what the building and loan, which is the business that they've been running uh does for the town in that they let people own their homes they give money to people that they know will pay it back eventually but maybe not in a way that's totally advantageous for them as a lending institution so it's kind of an interesting small town politics like little glean into the life of you know what i'm saying yeah, it's it's also very it's very small town. It's very um very American like that thought process. Like, believe it or not, America used to be an advantageous place for, you know, people like this, people down on their luck, like, you know, immigrants and stuff and not. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on how you look at it. I mean, you know, we're a global community now. This not a politics or an economics podcast, despite how much I talk about hiding gold under your bed and living on a hillside with goats away from the government. I always assumed you were joking, but you know. I mean, I keep saying it. That's true. I guess where there's smoke, there's fire. Anyway, so um, Gary or whatever the fuck his name is, <laughs> George, Gary, <laughs> Gary Busey's in this movie now. Man, um, if Gary Busey was in, Gary Busey should have been Clarence. <laughs> he, w- he just starts shoving George. W- he falls off the bridge. <laughs> I'm green lighting this movie right now. From from Four Your Information Studios, it's a wonderful life remake because the copyright is no longer valid and fuck you, so we're gonna do this. Um anyway. I'm into it. So, George decides to save the business from being liquidated just to get one over on Mr. Potter. And he dis- and he does this at the uh, behest of canceling his Europe trip and his uh, college. And uh, gives it all to his brother to go to college. And then I guess the plan is that George will go to college when his brother gets home. Yes, that's exactly it. So this is very much like a small town family business pass off type thing where I'll run it, then you'll run it. And, you know, we'll have a thing going on because he's always wanted to travel. That's been like the main crux of his whole like character arc this whole time is that he wants to get out he wants to see some stuff he wants to do some stuff he wants to travel a little bit Wants to. he wants to get out there and be a worldly kind of guy but instead he's stuck here doing this because if he doesn't do it nobody else is going to stand up to Mr. Potter right and I guess I mean they, they have this whole very spiteful relationship throughout the whole movie they really do and but then we um years pass yeah jump forward in time a little bit and this is the this is the beginning of uh george getting shit on for about 20 some odd years yeah so he's kind of left holding the bag back home he's not totally appreciated his life doesn't really go forward any i mean the business does pretty well though yeah he seems to be doing really well with business so years pass uh george has kind of been at home holding down the fort taking care of the business and despite the fact that the business is doing well uh Everything else in his life that he's wanted to do is not really coming to pass. He hasn't met anybody that he really likes so much. A lot of the people that he knows moved away, so he doesn't have a ton of friends at this point, point. Um, and he's definitely not gotten the chance to travel. But Harry comes home, and Harry's going to come home after all this time. He's got an education, he's got a new outlook on life, and he's totally prepared to take on the responsibility of the business, so George thought. Uh, that doesn't actually happen, so Harry comes home with a new job offer from his new wife's father, his father-in-law, and is kind of interested in taking that. He's kind of wishy-washy on it. George kind of gets holding the bag on the family business but he what i do like is that he talks to um harry's new wife and is like is it a good job is it gonna be stable for him like you know so he's he's not doing like a woe is me thing he's like look is this gonna be good for my brother would and i guess maybe in a way it's a woe is me it's like is would my sacrifice be worth it for him hey he's gotta look out for the family you know you got your familia here you got your people in the city you gotta look out for one another it's a big apple it's a big war out here, we gotta be out on the ground floor looking out for each other. We gotta make a pizza, we gotta eat it together as a family. Oh, the pizza, family, pizza, garlic that's all you need. I got a knuckle tattoos. it says F A M I G L I A, and my last two knuckles is you know what it says is? It's exclamation points because that's how serious I am about family. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh George's mom kind of comes out at the uh welcome home party for Harry and talks to him about, you know, hey, you know, Harry's found out what's gonna work for him in his life, and he's met someone I really wish you would go out and meet someone too. Mary's home from school. And so George is like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll go see what that's about. And so Mary being home from school, we don't know at the time, but she actually really wanted to see him too, so he decides he's gonna go out and give it a shot. So he goes out on the town, walking over to Mary's place, comes across Violet. Um, in kind of a weird, pent up kind of frustration, he kind of screams at violet that he wants to go on an adventure let's go do some stuff let's do some really cool shit right now and she is not having it Um uh, she's too busy with all her other boyfriends well, <laughs> for whatever reason violet always wants to get in with him and i think it's for money and he knows that well it's a good thing so he's just like it's a good thing that what, oh. he doesn't have any money well that's what i'm saying it's a good thing they don't end up together because that definitely would not have worked out in his favor considering how he does not end up with that much money really no not at all we will get there but anyway he seems really bitter at mary once he gets there though so i mean i kind of see where he's coming from it doesn't make it right for him to be a jerk but like mary has gotten out of town she went to school she's seen a little bit more of the world she got some experiences that she wanted that he also kind of wanted for himself and she has another guy that she was kind of talking to it seems because he calls her on the phone or something but that falls apart real quickly and she falls right back into where she wanted to be with george the whole time and i mean despite how kind of frustrating the scene is it works out for the best right and like but honestly like i have to say the chemistry between the two actors uh donna reed and james stewart is phenomenal agreed like i totally believe like I, i can't remember where i read this but like in order for like the chemistry for two actors to work you have to believe that they would fuck oh yeah and I absolutely 100% believe it, especially with that kiss after the phone call, which was apparently had to be cut short because it was unrehearsed and was deemed too passionate to pass the censors. Well, you know, I they had these wall dispensers at the Hayes Code office where they were just full of cornflakes, <laughs> and so they just spin the dial like an animal feed dispenser and get a bowl full of goddamn cornflakes. They just cannot handle that passionate kissing between a heterosexual adult couple. Exactly. I mean, but, like, dude, like... just. Ugh. You know, like, you pour, like, I I, I, I love their relationship. Like, I can, like, I just... That's, like, the one thing that draws me into this movie. Like, I just really believe the relationship here. I absolutely do, too. And you know what? You, You pour cold water on a couple of dogs that are banging, you chow down on some cornflakes to stop adult actors from banging. Yeah, so that people won't think about just the hot, passionate sex that they are having off-camera in this movie. Just, like, every day, just pound town, just fucking bruises all over their thighs for just all of eternity. You don't have to think about that, because you have your fucking cornflakes. Right. God forbid a married, heterosexual couple have intercourse. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so, uh, th- th- we oh, speaking <laughs> of all of that, let's talk about the honeymoon. Right, so <laughs> they're finally gonna get what they want. They're Well, at least George just wanna get what he wants. I mean, and Mary's along for the ride and she supports him and thinks it's cool too. And that's why they're together, I guess. But they're going to go travel. They're going to go somewhere. They're going to have some fun. They're going to blow some money in New York and have some fun. Uh, then when they're driving out of town, the big bank bus hits. So this is a part of the Great Depression where we know the stock market crash. Mm-hmm. And then when people invest in money and the stocks crash, they lose money. There's not as much money to be invested anymore. So naturally people want to go get the money out while they can. So they go to the banks and they flush the banks out of cash. The bank runs out of cash and then everybody's left holding the bag with what they got which is probably five dollars which admittedly at the time was a lot more money right it, we, i actually have a figure where that we will get to shortly right that will just prove to you how big the different is right so this all happened on the day of their honeymoon so he goes right back into the building and loan and he helps with the money they're going to spend on their honeymoon give people back money that they're going to need to keep them as customers so that they can get by but still support each other in the community and not let the building and loan fail because if the building and loan fails Mister. Mr. potter has already offered to buy them out right at, for 50 cents on the dollar which is probably at, like as bad as it they make it seem probably actually a pretty good deal. oh yeah considering the bank bus that's great considering how yeah considering the bank bus that's actually not a horrible deal no though. not at all but anyway we are not a financing pot no D- don't put the gold under your bed o- or do it might hurt your back though uh yeah you don't put it under the mattress you put it under the floorboards oh okay fair enough yeah put it in there with your seeing stones <laughs> In your witch dust. Hey, don't talk shit about witch dust. Uh, After this, instead of kind of going on the honeymoon, they go back to 320 Sycamore, which Mary has always (laughs) wanted as a place to live, and kind of fix it up. It's kind of a cutesy little thing, and then they're having a dinner there, even though the house is broken down. But it's gonna be their house. It's gonna be their future. That's where they decide that's where they're gonna end up, and, um have a cute little thing there and that's actually really kind of touching yeah it's kind of like uh up before up yeah exactly and uh not nearly as sad or at least not at this point uh later on things get a little rough but hey, we'll get there you know tagline for the podcast we'll get there we'll get yeah there. uh um and then and then sometime later uh george finances bailey park which is like a little subdivision yeah um that he's uh like a like a home subdivision that he's created yeah he's loaning money to people so that they can own their house in bailey park Um, rather than continually paying rent on something that they'll never actually own, which is the main complaint out of what Mr. Potter is doing. That's how he continues to make money on people, is that he's never in the business of selling to people, he's in the business of renting to people indefinitely. Correct. And it's just not a good deal for anybody. No, uh, take note, all you people. Again, it's not a financial podcast, but if you're putting away uh, we'll call it thirteen hundred dollars a month in rent because you're dumb and you live somewhere you can't afford, um, consider getting a mortgage on a house because it probably will be a costs and you'll actually own shit instead of throwing away money into your landlord's gaping asshole or you could just rent forever because the world's probably going to explode in the next 10 years and nothing will matter hey man but that's neither here nor there when you own your house you can dig Um, up your own floorboards and put your seeing stones inside and you can snort your witch dust, which I'm 98% sure is just cocaine. Uh, technically it's goofer dust and that's a totally different thing. Okay. Anyway, so, um, Mr. Potter, uh, offers to buy out Bailey Park. Yes. And to make George some sort of executive officer over Bailey Park. And it's just another attempt for Mr. Potter to, like, you know, own everything in the town. Uh, he offers George a $20,000 a year salary for three years. And, uh, I did some math here because I want to to know how much that would be in 2018 money <laughs> or 2019 money, whatever you can't see what the inflation rate would be for 2019, but uh, so I assumed it was 1939. Uh, that would be the 2018 equivalent of and eight cents. Now, is that per year or for the three years? That's per year. Oh, so he's literally making a thousand dollars to- a millionaire, yeah, <laughs> which is just, I'm sorry, how do you not take that because he's a man of principle, Zach? That's what we've learned about him this whole time is that despite the personal setbacks and the great cost to him, he is a man of character okay but hold on just the thought here Mm -hmm. violet just the thought there's that's a lot of money man (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah it is i mean (laughs) like i could do a lot with a thousand dollars a day for three years there's no way that he's ever gonna see any of that money again and he just leaves it he could have totally like fucked with the contracts and fucked mr potter out of even more money but he didn't do that and he just was no 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 man of character yes uh so this is a big (laughs) point in the movie uh, at this point George is a little older he's in his 30s it's not unheard of for people like that to serve in the military and that's exactly what he wanted to do but he was not able to do so because he is partially deaf which means he is a very very low draft classification he would not be able to actually serve in the military no he probably would have had to drive a ambulance or something oh god he'd be lucky to even do that he'd be lucky to be like a like a uh, like a supply guy on the state side really yeah i mean You gotta think. At a certain point in a conflict like that, I mean, if you're in, we'll call it Britain, and you're working in an office somewhere, how often was Britain getting bombed? What's the likelihood that you're actually going to need some survival skills that you're going to be taught at some point to live? A lot higher than it is at any other point in history. Mm, Fair enough. Wouldn't be able to serve overseas, and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go overseas. This is his opportunity to get out, do the right thing, serve his country, and see the world. All boxes checked. Very much a George Bailey thing to do. And it's it's just the con thing of him getting shit on and shit on and shit on the shit on. right uh that being but, said you know. uh harry does pretty well for himself so he's wanted to fly he signs up for uh the navy as a pilot cadet and ends up becoming a uh, war hero and earning the medal of honor uh saving a transport ship full of soldiers from a kamikaze pilot which good on him right this becomes and, you know jo- george is really proud of him like he like i don't think he actually is like you know upset or you know is jealous of that i think he's truly proud of his brother of course he is um i think that he would have accepted just about anything that he could have done to get out and see a little bit of stuff and you know support the war effort because that was the thing to do at the time and that's what he wanted to do um fun fact though james stewart the actor that plays george bailey actually did have a military service record for this period of time he signed up for the mm-hmm. army and enlisted as a private he actually had a hard time joining kind of like george bailey believe it or not but ended up going from an enlisted man to a pilot pilot cadet so as pilot cadet he became an officer and then over time despite his setbacks as a working actor and all the stuff that kind of was holding him back they wanted to use him you know as like a, a guy to sell war bonds you remember like captain america like from the captain america movies you know mm-hmm. where he gets taken off the line because he's kind of a celebrity and they want to use him to sell war bonds and shit that, yeah, that's exactly. what they did to james stewart for a little while where they're like he's an actor he's a hollywood celebrity he's also a pilot and like oh wow that's super cool i want to buy war bonds they tried to do that and he was like no fuck that i to fly planes i want to fight the war and so he did it and he was actually one of the few people in army history to go from private which is the lowest enlisted rank to 06 which is like a colonel like a really high officer rank in four years That's crazy. So he was actually in the war the whole time. He was pretty much in the war the whole time, and he actually continued to serve afterwards once the Army Air Corps got transferred into the Air Force, and actually retired as a Brigadier General. Mm -hmm. And then he went back to acting after that. Right, uh, but the point being that he, like, in his personal life, actually very closely lived the life of Harry Bailey, his brother in the movie. Which is just very interesting. Yeah. uh, Honestly, maybe one of the weirdest, like, casting coincidences I've actually come across in the course this podcast I think that it may it may have been synergy. They may have put it in there for James Stewart. I don't know. Anyway, this, this kind of plot line was kind of pretty tropey for uh, the time after the war. It was, and considering what happens next, it gets even more deep than that because this is where things start to go downhill. Uh, Uncle Billy takes the deposit from the uh, building and loan over to the bank, loses the money, and Mr. Potter finds it. Yeah, and then he is going to give it back and then decides, you know what? No, I'll hold on to this and screw him over because I can actually call the police on him which is high theft at this time eight thousand dollars is a lot of money like we just talked about eight thousand dollars is a lot today that's how much i paid for like my wife's car right and that's what i'm saying is like eight thousand dollars is a lot of money like this would be high theft like this would be like this would put mr potter in jail for the rest of his life which is probably like two years i was gonna say he could probably buy his way out of it at this point in history (laughs) he looks so old and he's feeble in a wheelchair did you know he's only 38 years old Um... oh man yeah Uh, that's all uh, I don't know. What did they make money with back then? Asbestos? And you know, when you're snorting the cocaine with the asbestos dollars, you're getting the asbestos from the cocaine and the dollar, doubling your asbestos intake. God, that's just like burning the highway to hell down my esophagus and into my lungs. When I die, they're going to use me as insulation. (laughs) Anyway... I gotta calm down. Okay. Uh, All right. So this problem being what it is, he kind of knows that it's going to be the end of a certain part of his life. So he could potentially go to jail. It could sink the business. He could give Potter what he always wanted. He doesn't handle that super well. It's just kind of the cherry on top of the shit Sunday for what's been happening these past few years. Yeah, and he goes home and he yells at the wife, yells at the kids, Um, is mad about the house for some reason. I'm like, dude, you got a next to free house. Yeah, I wouldn't be too mad about that myself. I mean, of all things to be mad about, that, get, maybe it is truly just the cherry on top of the sundae. I think it is. I think, I think it's, it's truly one of those things. You know, when you're mad and you like start getting mad about something else, but it's not really what you're mad about. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those it's things. There's just a way to channel the feelings. Although, I, I got to say that, that thing on the top of the banister that keeps falling off. I've, that would piss me the fuck dude, off, too, if I was already mad. I've seen it. I'd say half of the, like, historical homes that I am in have something like that in them. That it just pops out, and you're like, oh, put that shit back in the wall, dude. <laughs> Dude, I, I can't even, I can't even imagine, like, that would drive me bad. Dude, I think that, like, if, if that happened to me every day. That specific thing, uh, it was, it was the second band that I was in, like, in college, uh, with Sean. Yeah, with Sean. Our drummer lived in Midtown, Atlanta, and he, like, his mm-hmm. family had this, like, old, like, Victorian turn of the century type house, which was beautiful. It was amazing. And so you go inside, you go up the stairs, and they had that same fucking thing halfway up the stairs where the little, like, ball on top of the banister would just pop out. Oh, that shit. That's a real thing. That that's a real thing. Jesus Christ. Now that that being a part of it, it's a culmination of events that drives him to drink. So he goes to Martini's, which is the bar they're in town, uh run by a guy that he knows uh named Martini. I guess is the the bar is called Martini's. A guy named Martini serving Martini's. That was the guy that um he sold the house to the first house in a uh, Bailey Place. Yeah, to. yeah, the Italian guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is kind of an interesting thing that happens here. He goes in. He's having a bad time. He talks about the phone call, and then he just gets what by this guy. It turns out to be Mr. Welch, who was the, like, the, the husband of the teacher that he was chewing out on the phone. And why, why was he there? Like, if all like remember, this is Christmas Eve, so why is that guy there, too? Like, was he that mad about the phone call? Hey, man, we've all got our reasons, and we've all got our vices, and in his case, it was violence? I, I don't know. Uh, That being said, I do have something that I want to put in here, Zach. I made a cocktail. Of course you did. That's part of this podcast. Tell me yeah. about it. Okay, so... This is kind of like a, a group drink. You've heard of group think. Now there's group drink. That sounds awfully culty, but go hey ahead. Hey man, drink this Kool-Aid. So this is called uh the Christmas Cheer Punch. So when someone says grab a cup of cheer, you know, like in the Holly Jolly Christmas song, you can just pull this pitcher out of your fridge or freezer and just down it. Just guzzle it like you're just draining the Kool-Aid man from the balls up. Can I put it in a, um, cheer laundry detergent bottle? So then people then become very concerned about me momentarily? Well, considering that it's mostly red wine that seems like the worst possible thing to wash clothes with oh i mean this is after i've already used the laundry detergent in there and cleaned it out oh so you're just doing this as a gag to pour alcohol out of a laundry detergent thing and drink it straight out of the cap yeah because then it's a cup of cheer you know what man i guess you're right so the christmas cheer punch alternatively known as uh crouching tiger hidden mr welch <laughs> beautiful time uh, you make it in a pitcher and here's the ingredients. so uh you've got your alcoholic ingredients you've got your fruit and you've got your garnishes and stuff so we'll start with the fruit so you're going to need three limes cut in half you're going to need a half navel orange and half of a red grapefruit so there's a couple ways that you can do this and depending on how much time you have you'll want to do it one way or the other so um to start You're gonna want to take the fruit, cut them in half, and then crush them just a little bit and put them into the pitcher. If you've got plenty of time, don't crush them so much, just loosen up the fibers of the fruit a little bit. It's citrus, so the pulp will kind of mash up. You can even do this before you cut it. You can just roll the citrus on the counter to loosen it up, and uh, then you put it in there, and the alcohol in the other ingredients will pull a lot of the flavor out of the rind and out of the pulp. If you don't have a lot of time, like this needs to be served in an hour or two, you can juice it slightly just crush the fruit to get some of the juice out and then drop the husk into the the jug and you'll get some of the same effect with a little bit less time involved although i will say for the sake of the drink the more time the better you really need at least an hour to do a sangria type punch and that is definitely what this is okay so definitely don't throw any last minute ragers because this will not be the kind of thing you want you will be better served just throwing the bottles on the counter probably so that being said um if you have we're gonna call this like a half gallon pitcher If you have a half-gallon pitcher, what you're going to want to do is get, for your alcoholic ingredients, uh, an ounce of dark rum, an ounce of light rum, an ounce of triple sec, and two ounces of brandy or cognac, whichever one you happen to have. Uh, You're going to mix those together, and then you're going to fill it the rest of the way up with Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon, which are red wines, if you didn't know that already. Okay. So, for me, in my pitcher that I have, that's about a half bottle of each. Wow. Okay, so there's a lot of alcohol. There is a lot of alcohol in here. Um, If it's a little too bitter or sour for you, uh, you can add simple syrup to taste. I would say just a little bit's good. Don't make it too sugary or else you're going to have a real bad time later. It's already red wine and hard liquor, so you're probably not looking at a great next day if you drink all this yourself in one sitting out of a, out of a cheer. Yeah. Bottle. Don't 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 drink it out of the cheer bottle. Don't don't do that. So <laughs> <laughs> You'll add a little bit of cinnamon and a little bit of nutmeg to taste on top, just to give it a little bit of that pop, a little bit of that like holiday flavor. And if you're feeling really crafty, you can take some fresh cranberries, maybe cut them in half, and just fill the top of the jug with cranberries, fresh cranberries, so that they float, because that's what cranberries do, they float. And you may even get a little bit of the flavor out of them if you leave it for at least 24 hours in your fridge, like you normally do for a sangria type punch. Mm, and then there'll be alcohol cranberries, which is pretty great. And for some reason, what people always order on airplanes, I- I always see people order, like, a cranberry vodka when I'm on a plane, and I don't know why. Um, I don't know, but alcohol cranberry sounds like a great way to describe the band. (laughs) That would be... Um, that's an amazing name for a band, actually. Alcohol, the Alcohol Cranberries. Yeah. So, getting back into the movie. Um, hey, make yourself a picture of this and drink it while you watch the movie. Hey, you have a good time. This is a long Christmas party going on in your house there? Mm-hmm, beautiful. That's not what's happening at George's. No, house. it's not. So he tries to get home driving drunk on icy roads. Not great. Uh, they didn't have the same problem that they had in planes, trains, and automobiles, like with the whole like uh, Jesus take the wheel situation. He just dead ass crashes into a tree, which is apparently like an old ass tree that this. Man gets mad about yeah, like it, 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 the tree's gonna be fine, dude. Like you're not worried about the man the trees driving live drunk. Who exactly. probably loaned you the money for your house. Just saying. I don't know. Maybe he's in... He sounds rich. Maybe he's in cahoots with Potter. Oh, I don't man. Know. Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter. Different Potter. Do you have the loan monies? Anyway, <laughs> um... George goes to the bridge and contemplates ending it all. And that's where the fucking beginning of this movie comes into play. Because who... Who shows up? Clarence Oddbody. Yeah. So, Clarence is being a little bit of a weirdo. It's not really clear who jumps first. From watching it, it looks like Clarence jumps in and then George goes in to save him, but then later on he disputes that and like, who knows, it doesn't really matter because they end up safe. So they're in the toll booth and Clarence just straight up tells him like, I'm from heaven, I'm an angel. Ha 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 ha, I'm trying to get my wings. And George is like, I need a drink if I'm gonna have to deal with you because it looks like I'm not shaking you. Yeah, perfect. So uh, he goes back with this angel to the bar, but it's not the same bar. Right, because George has wished that he was never born and the angel's like, you know what, motherfucker? Alright, let's see what happens. It's Colin's bluff on this one. We'll see if you like it. It's Hmm? Colin's bluff on this one. Exactly. Let's see how you fucking like it. Right. So, the town is now called Pottersville... Um, the bar is no longer Martini's because Mr. Martini doesn't live there anymore. It's Nick's. Uh, it's just a guy named Nick that he also knows, but he's not nearly as nice and he's very bitter based on the world that he's living in at this point. Um, gets tossed out of the bar um, after just downing some bourbon I guess. And it's like um, Clarence tried to order some sort of weird 1653 drink and uh, they throw him out for yeah, it. Yeah, I would too. You would, you, your Clarence, you would order some shit like that. Look, John. he's bringing his small dick Dave David statue energy into this place, but that's not what I need. I think he's kind of adorable, honestly. Like, he's like an adorable little old man. So, I I don't know about your small dick energy. I'm just talking about the time period. Okay, fair enough. I understand what you're saying. So, uh, that being (laughs) said, so, uh, some antics ensue around town. Uh, he runs into people that he's supposed to know. Like, uh, the policeman. uh, Violet's there, but she's, like, a club girl now because all the businesses are just bars and clubs and, like, billiards halls because, the most sinful thing in the world is a billiards hall yeah this would be like the equivalent of like uh, a sex shop opening up in mayberry pretty much yeah exactly or like uh when we were growing up and then there was a sex shop that opened up in that town right next to where we lived yeah and it was like a big scandal and then like i went in there once i was like of age to go in there and i was like there's nothing interesting in here yeah there's like uh some water pipes quote unquote for tobacco use only over here and there's like some uh silicone dicks quote unquote for not tobacco use over there um i think the only thing you can't do with those is uh show them in public yeah other than that do what you want with them and you know what it's maybe just a product of the times and people are like really like not comfortable with that and then mr potter's just about making money and what's more lucrative than people's sins because they can't do it out in the open so they go to the club or the bar or the billiard hall or whatever to do it instead of doing it at home i don't know it's Different times. Different strokes for different folks. Different, different strokes for different hands. Right. Anyway, um, different strokes for different George Bailey's fathers. Right, different strokes for different chokes, if you know what I'm saying. Jesus Christ. Um, Only in Pottersville. So what happens after that, John? Okay, so, Pottersville. yeah, George is running from the cops because uh, I don't really remember why. They just didn't like him or they thought he was weird or they thought he was crazy or whatever. And so uh, they just try to shoot him in the back one time. Uh, that's not cool yeah um i i don't i think that would have i don't know if in 1946 that would have been okay but in today that would have been viewed as excessive force yeah everyone pulls out their phone instead of trying to help anybody and then they just get shot in the back and then it ends up on facebook and then it becomes a whole thing and then everybody's christmas is ruined yeah let's not do that so um he goes back to his house and it's dilapidated it never got fixed and like he wants to go back he wants to go back so bad and he gets his wish so he gets to go home he goes back to his car. He goes back to his house um and then everything kind of takes a turn up uh the, the inspectors are there looking for him and he's like whatever nothing matters I have my family now I've realized the value of what I have and then he goes up to go hug his kids and uh, the thing on the banister falls off again which is the third time rule of three um for all of you uh aspiring comedians out there that's that's a good rule of three right there that's a long haul hey. um and then um, the uh, Mary shows back up and she brings the whole town with her and the whole town sounds like george bailey needs money i'll give him five dollars and you know what that is a good warm-hearted sentiment that comes from an era that is kind of bygone so um for any of you guys out there that haven't actually like had family in local business or like uh worked for a local business or anything like that you may not understand but like people get really attached to businesses and i'm sure if you i don't know worked for mm-hmm. a big corporation like chase bank or something you probably run across people who are like i've been with chase bank for 50 years and like okay well in corporate america or corporate anywhere for that matter that doesn't really mean much in the big picture but like it does mean something in the small world in the small town and so the fact that people remembered what george bailey did for them and were willing to come and stand up for him and help him out because he helped them all out so much is really heartwarming and it's a it's a good reliving of a bygone time because i don't know because like i said this would be like a go fun thing yeah perhaps at at, like at this point in time and also like would it really really have t- taken only a day for them to realize that the books would have been ruined or maybe Mr Potter called them on that and then also th- that's my other problem with this movie is Mr Potter never gets any on screen like you know punishment for doing this because this would be big jail time um i don't know that Mr Potter did anything wrong per se other than end up eight thousand dollars richer somehow and considering how money worked back then like there are no transactional records other than what's written down in a book you know like there's no like time stamped on a computer there's nothing like that so he just has eight thousand bucks and uh he has a lot of eight thousand bucks laying around so i mean who knows that's fair. but that being said i see what you mean and i think like the whole like books thing or like books being wrong thing i think the inspectors just showed up and saw hey you're supposed to have uh, x amount of money uh where is it and and then it's not in their bank account and it's not in their safe on hand. So it's like, are you lying about how much money you have right now? Because that's fraud. Exactly. And you know, so that all happens. It pretty much gets shirred up, which I still don't know how that works. Um, I guess it's like you better come up with the eight thousand dollars, no matter where it comes from, by this time, or you're going to jail. Maybe. Yeah, pretty much. And it really sucks considering how he's uh, time and time again gotten stuck holding the bag with this business, and now it's gonna come back and end him. He almost killed himself Stop. over it because. It- he would have a. He, he could. Then his wife could catch the life insurance and still have, like, what did they say? His life insurance policy was for $15,000. Right. So she would still have, like, $7,000 left. Yeah. Which, again, a sizable amount of money back then. Right. And, uh, anyway, to tie this movie off, uh, we, I guess it's suggested that Clarence gets his wings. Yes. And cool. Every time a bell rings, then an Angel gets its wing. And every time you touch your penis, a devil gets his horns. Or at least that's what my grandpa told me. Ah, uh, yes. Um, what my grandpa told me was that the streets got you, fam. And that's that's the moral of this story, is if you're real, the streets got yeah, you. Yeah, if you're real, like the real real kind of real, like you're going to give money to people you may not get it back from, like, you know, selling crack, streets got you. Yep, the streets got you. The streets got you, the streets will always street got you. Street justice will always prevail. And vigilante and street justice will always yeah, prevail. Yeah, just like that motherfucker that carbonated anyway, that bottle of milk. Dude, that was fucking awesome. I, 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 I admire their commitment to the act. Anyway, so John... We, we come to the end of another movie how did you feel I thought this was a good movie it was a long one for the time period uh like by like Dracula or mm-hmm. like uh, Wolfman or something it's like an hour an hour and change like okay that's easy to sit through even if you didn't really love the movie this was way longer it's like a two hour 10 minute movie which is way way long for this time period but you know what I liked it it was good. I thought it I still think this movie's very good. I I've, I've watched it about every Christmas. It's not the I don't think I've watched it in the past 2 years, but it's still a great movie. Um a lot of local theater companies do a stage version of this, which I think the movie does kind of lend itself to being a stage adaptation. It does. I see that. I definitely <laughs> see that. And considering the amount of experienced stage acting that the actors in this movie had, I mean, it was just kind of a right place, right time, right people. Right. And it it's now a classic uh, whether it's because of uh, money, reasons or not. right uh, necessity drives everything you're absolutely correct and um i think that's a good note for us to end this week on john uh do you have anything else you want to say i definitely don't other than uh merry christmas happy hanukkah uh festivus yeah, whatever, whatever it's a festivist for the rest of Yeah, us. yeah. Uh happy Kwanzaa. Um hope you had a good Ramadan like a month or two ago. Um I'm trying <laughs> to include everyone. Uh if you are a worshiper of Vishnu, may his his or her many arms embrace you. Um, who am I leaving out? Um, a whole lot of religions. There's like a thousand religions. So we're just going to tie it up in happy holidays. Happy time with whoever you want to spend this time of the year with. Uh, you know, and it, in the spirit of this movie, um, please don't um, commit suicide. Please seek help if that's how you're feeling this time of year. This time of year is really hard for some people. And I just, you know, if we could just have one serious note, it would be that. Definitely. If you were not feeling okay, definitely around this time of year. Please get help. Definitely. Uh, Suicide is something that's kind of gripping our time. It's uh, maybe one of the biggest crises that we face right now. You know, mental health, you know, by and large. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to seek help. Uh, There's always someone there to listen, whether you think that's true or not. And uh, on that serious note, um, let's... uh, How how can we end this? Uh, Titties. Anyway, this... (laughs) has been for your information with zach and john and i'm zach and i'm john happy holidays everybody well we should not put this in the podcast oh it's absolutely going in the podcast uh, every time you kids with all your money in the cloud Speaking of modern problems and modern solutions, or not, uh, I have a smartwatch now. You have a smartwatch, so now you're one of those people. Yeah, so I won it at a corporate Christmas party uh, for my job. Mm. And your um, job gets you Samsung watches. My job puts me in Lima, Ohio. I mean, it was a raffle. Same. So it wasn't like a yeah, everybody gets a smartwatch. <laughs> it was like a congratulations, random contender, you have a prize. Please don't kill yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's usually how it works. <laughs> I, it's just the nature of the job, man. That's just kind of how it goes that aside um i'm kind of liking it a little bit because all of the faces are like analog which is cool because it's the Mm -hmm. aesthetic of analog and i've only ever had analog watches really oh okay i'm like Um, a diehard you you get like a cool can you get a cool one that makes it look like a mickey mouse watch uh yeah but i'm not plugging my ass with grapes like other people who do that so why on earth would i want that okay i think we've covered extensively on this podcast what happens when you put fruit in your ass so please redact that statement well, the thing because is, it, the grapes, the grapes would explode before you could even get it in there. Well, that's so the, that's the thing, there. right? They're just smashing them against the assholes. Uh, oh, okay, I understand now. Wait, no, I don't. No, of course <laughs> not. It doesn't make any sense. Just. I mean, I hope the people learn something out of this. You know, I hope that acceptance has become a part of their holiday zeitgeist. I hope that uh, inviting the government to Thanksgiving dinner is not necessary anymore because they're already there whether you want them or not. And, um...